welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast, Tuesday, April 6th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. The Magic, fresh off a five-game swing out west, two and three on the trip. They fall to Denver uh, in a tight one on Sunday, 119-109, the final score. So they dropped to 17 and 33 on the season through 50 games. Uh, rest day on Monday, practice day on Tuesday. Little news, they signed Devin Kennedy from the Lakeland Magic to a 10-day contract. So we'll see the Princeton product uh, and G League Finals MVP in Magic Blue uh, over the course of the next week or so. Get an opportunity uh, to see what he can do. And we kick off a four-game homestand. It'll be the Washington Wizards Wednesday, April 7th. Pacers come to town on Friday, Sunday, April 11th. The Milwaukee Bucks in. And then the next night, we'll see the San Antonio Spurs. And you head up to see Nikola Vucevic and the Chicago Bulls. That'll be next Wednesday, April 14th. Some injury news as well. The Magic Light session today, non-contact, but Gary Harris and Cole Anthony did go through practice today. So that's the good news. Cole Anthony may return on Wednesday against the Washington Wizards, according to Steve Clifford. Uh, It'll likely be a little bit later, uh, maybe Indiana, maybe even uh, a game or two from now for Gary Harris. But both Cole Anthony and Gary Harris getting close. So excellent news there. Uh, And hopefully the team able to get healthy coming off that West Coast road swing a flu bug for crying out loud as if the magic team hasn't dealt with enough injuries over the course of the season. Uh, but Ken Birch, Michael Carter Williams affected greatly by that flu bug. And then James Ennis and Mo Bamba uh, were under the weather as well. They fought through it on Sunday night in Denver, but hopefully the team able to get back, get healthy in more ways than one. Uh, and then this last, what, 20 games or so, 22 games, uh, let's see what a, what a healthy group can do. You're still within striking distance, believe it or not, of the Chicago Bulls for that uh, 10 seed, the play-in scenario uh, in the Eastern Conference. As of this morning, you're talking about a four-game cushion uh, between Chicago and Orlando. Now, you also got four teams in there. You go Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, and Washington um, all bunched up there. But uh, it's still a possibility for this Magic team, despite everything that's happened over the course of the season uh, to make that play-in scenario. So uh, we'll see how the next couple games go. Obviously, I think you're going to um, you're going to know quite a bit about the team's playoff chances and sort of the uh, trajectory of the rest of the season by the end of this four-game homestand. Hey, Magic fans, the Florida Department of Transportation reminds you that fans don't let fans drive drunk. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. Instead, find a sober driver or catch a ride service. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Have a great day and drive safe. And my guest for the program this week, the radio play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bulls. He is on Twitter at CTS Bulls. The great Chuck Swirsky joins me this week on Magic Weekly. Chuck, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, how are things going for you guys? Well, Jake, I'll tell you what. The uh, Bulls coming off a win, a home game. Uh, actually, the first game the new Bulls have played, including uh, Nikola Vucevic. And so that's a good thing. Uh, you always want to do well at home, whatever home means now. Right. He's COVID-19 times. But nonetheless, they had a quick stop because uh, the next five are on the road after just coming off a four-game road trip. Wow, 20 and 28 now on the season for Chicago. And uh, where are you guys headed? Is it a, it's a Midwest sort of road trip coming up here? Well, it starts in Indiana, then it goes to Tampa for the Raptors, and then Atlanta, and then Memphis and Minnesota. How's that? <laughs> well, we just did. We just did a five-game trip out west. It started in L.A., so you got two two games against the Lakers and the Clippers uh, in three days. Then they swung us back to New Orleans, 
for a game on Thursday against the Pelicans. And then we, we jumped out to, uh, to the Rocky Mountain time zone. We had Denver and Utah over the weekend. So the travel has been – obviously it's condensed. The injuries are creeping up. They've been with us all season long. I mean, this, this season and the condensed schedule, you and I understand why we had to do it, Chuck. But the injuries, I mean, it, it is certainly a, a manifestation of the condensed schedule across the league right now. It's just been a tough year, hasn't it? It is a tough year. No question about it. I give the uh, front offices all the credit in the world for trying to put together a roster of depth. Some teams have more than others, obviously. But the NBA, for the most part, you know, they have done a magnificent job. I have so much admiration and respect for Adam Silver and uh, Mark Tatum and the entire group of people in New York City. And then obviously it has a ripple effect to 30 NBA teams and the jobs they do, and the people behind the scenes that probably don't receive nearly enough credit, um, and the physicians on board, the medical people on board, everything. I mean, it's, it's been, actually, it's been wonderful to see how many selfless people we have in the NBA. I think that's a great point. And, you know, just go back a year, Chuck. The, the things the league has been able to accomplish in the last year. I mean, the bubble feels like an afterthought now. It's one of the greatest undertakings in sports history. The fact that they were able to accomplish that, finish last year's season it, with such, um, you know, gusto. I mean, in the middle of last summer, God, and, you, you know, for, for me, it was back to work. Um, but it was so necessary, I think, for, for the psyche of, of the United States as a population pulling that thing off. It's just been remarkable, everything – um, the league's been able to accomplish from from top to bottom. Yes, and, and you know, I'm I'm looking at the big picture and what we learn from teams in the bubble mm. and the struggles and the challenges and the isolation, but the the bond with teammates and coaching staffs and other staff members. And then, if you want to fast forward to the bubble in Indianapolis with the NCAA tournament, yeah, and and the job that the NCAA did, and regardless of what people think about the NCAA, and we could probably spend, you know, a week or more on that subject, the truth of the matter is they brought all these teams into one city and did a superb job. And so I give, again, a lot of respect to the knowledge, the wisdom, and then how it was carried out, not only at the NBA level, but obviously the NCAA. And a lot of people, a lot of people, with uh, a lot more gray matter than yours truly um, know what they're doing. We're going to get to Vooch and we're going to get to Wendell Carter Jr. Um, eventually. I, I, I was going to lead with that, but we're on this topic now. And I wanted to ask you about all these things. I got to ask you about Toronto playing in Tampa. You're the former voice of the Raptors. How difficult must it be for a team to pack up and move for an entire season? I think we're seeing some of the results in, 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 um, in the output and in, in the standings with Toronto. But how weird is it to, to have the Toronto Raptors, we the North, in Tampa? It, it's just a, it's a, a one more unprecedented thing in a, in a year and a season of unprecedented events, isn't it? Well, it's bizarre. But again, it's a different country. And having lived there for 10 years, I respect the country. I respect the, um, the office of what the prime minister holds and you know the the provinces of canada are all unique toronto is different than edmonton vancouver is different than montreal you could go right down the list whether you're in saskatoon or st john 
And so I have the utmost respect for the country. And if they felt it was necessary to do this and the Raptors signed off on it, which obviously they did because of the country and the guidelines of health and safety. So they're in Tampa. And I, I'm sure I can't speak for any member of the organization because I'm not a member of the Raptors. But all I can tell you from afar, the job they've done has been incredible. And I do think with the injuries or with COVID or with, you know, just the very nature of the NBA and the Eastern Conference and every team has a run, as you know, but I think that this has added up to a very grueling second half of the season for them, Jake. Yeah, I, we can talk about everything compounding and, and the schedule being what it is and the travel and the testing, which is a big um, sort of, you know, curveball, I guess. Um, but but, but for, for that organization to pack up and move and be away from their families, a, a lot of them, um, for this much time, it's, um, it, it's commendable that, um, that they are 19 and 30. And, that, and one thing that's commendable is that we're even getting these games played. I mean, there were a whole lot of instances earlier in the season with games being postponed, but you know, that stuff's kind of gone by the wayside. We're going we're gonna to pull this thing off. Um, and everybody across the league, including people like you and I, who have had to, to, to make some sacrifices, I think we all deserve a bit of a pat on the back, maybe a little bit less so, people like you and I. But I do want to ask you about, about broadcasting remotely. I mean, you're, you're, one of the, um, you're one of the sort of cornerstone broadcasters in this league. You've been doing it for so long, and I'm sure you're, you're so used to I was talking to David Steele, our TV play-by-play, about it. Um, you guys are, are creatures of habit and not traveling throws you guys and you don't get the access that you usually have and calling a game off a monitor. And again, we're appreciative to have jobs and opportunities and to be able to keep doing what we're doing, but it's difficult, isn't it? Well, I always maintain this and, and from the get go, when we learn number one, as you know, we were not involved with the bubble. We were one of those uh, eight teams on the outside looking in. So I, I look at it this way, and I'm speaking strictly from the heart now, not from a business, not from broadcasting. I always go into a game, and I'm very blessed. I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very thankful. No matter the circumstances, no matter if we're on the eighth floor of calling a game at Madison Square Garden or courtside at the United Center. I love my job very, very much. I love the sport. I love the people in the sport, and I love the – essence of going into a game not knowing what's going to happen period so having said all that are there challenges absolutely uh the other night uh, bill at wennington my broadcast partner he and i are calling a game and the director not for the bulls because they we have a shared feed right but the director wanted to lock in on their team and i get it it's their team so keep in mind i go into every game knowing Okay, we may have a situation where they're they're telling a story about a player or they're going to show the bench of that club because body language is so important, and that's what I kind of look for when I'm calling a game at the United Center or on the road because I think body language tells a great story that we're able to share when a player is frustrated with himself, when a coach is disappointed with a call on the floor, all those things that we are now missing. So there was a technical foul called in the ball game and we really didn't understand what was going on. 
So we have to be very transparent with our listeners to say, we receive word from courtside, the monitor that feeds information to us, that there is a technical foul. And as soon as it's explained to us, we will bring it to you. That's the best we can do. I don't like to guess. Number one, on injuries, I never guess. Yeah. Um, and secondly, I don't want to guess on who's coming into a game, why they're coming into a game, how they're coming into a game, or technicals. And I think our audience has been very patient uh, and understanding this year, but I do look forward to the day that we can travel again. And I, I do hope that day will come sooner, hopefully, maybe if the Bulls make the playoffs, that the NBA will kind of relax its guidelines, especially for those of us who have received the second shot and that we can travel. Um, but I do think nothing, nothing can replace live action of broadcasters, communicators, um, making sure that our audience viewing and listening has you know, everything that they can receive from an arena. That's Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It's great perspective. Um, and, and I appreciate that. And that's why I love following you on Twitter because you do, you know, this has been such a difficult, sometimes I think we haven't all appreciated how difficult a year this has been. Um, for instance, I, I was with the Magic for six seasons, and I took a job with the Detroit Pistons, and, and I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. So being in Detroit was great. I was closer to my family in Cleveland. Um, I thought I would never come back to Florida, and then certain things happened. The, you know, the radio company I was working for got sold. The, <clears throat> the format got switched. I ended up back in Cleveland um, producing and hosting on 92.3 The Fan. It was a dream job. Um, but there were, you know, there were some problems with it, basically financial problems, all things considered. And when Dante Marcatelli, my boss down here, called me back and, and sort of offered me my old job back, but um, with more on-air opportunities and sort of sweetened the deal a little bit, I said to myself, okay, I'll go back to Florida. And it was a difficult decision because I was, I was going to be apart from my family. My parents are getting older. I've got a niece and nephew now. I love being back in the Midwest. But I said to myself, you know what? This is the, the best opportunity for me. It's 20, at this point, it was 2019. Um, I'll be able to, to travel home. I'm going to be making more money. I'll be able to spend summers, you know, large swaths of the summer up in Ohio with my family. And then, and then COVID hit. And so, you know, I made this decision based on the ability to be able to visit my family up North. And now I haven't seen them, but for about a week over the course of the last year. And, you know, if I knew there was going to be a pandemic, I don't know if I would have taken the job back down here, Chuck. And so, you know, I say all that to say, Sometimes we need to look back on what this last year has been like, and we need to be appreciative for what we have, but we also need to allow ourselves to, to understand the fact that this has been an emotionally draining on all of us and not seeing your family. I'm sorry. Zooming with my mom and dad is not the same as spending quality time with them. Um, having my mom and dad visit me down here and see my dog who, you know, I got up there and, and they love, and my dog loves them. Um, you know, we, I, we've had to sort of, to fill those voids. And I, I think at times, man, we, we need to appreciate the fact that this has been very, very difficult on all of us, both from a personal and a professional standpoint. And I think you have great perspective on that. It, it's hard. We're, we're blessed, obviously, to do what we do. Um, but you need to appreciate the fact that, that we've all been through, um, you know, traumatic might be a strong word, but it's been a really, really difficult year for everybody. Well, yeah, and, and for, for many more people than myself, listen, um, you know, this COVID thing 
when we when we first got word, in fact, we were planning to play a game in Orlando on March twelfth, yeah. and we flew down, and the night of the eleventh, we get a text, a group text saying, "Hey, games games been postponed, not canceled. Game has been postponed. We leave ten a.m. tomorrow." And I'm saying to myself, "Wow, okay." So on the flight from Orlando to Chicago, of course, we have Wi-Fi, and we're getting all these different reports from different NBA cities about the postponement of games and what's going on. And I thought that this thing would blow over in a month, three weeks to a month. Okay, we're going to, you know, we'll deal with it, and then we'll resume play. And all of a sudden, one week turned into three, three turned into five, and here we are. And they're talking about a bubble. We didn't make the bubble. And I'm a creature of habit. I love prep work. I love calling games. I love being around players and coaches just so I'm educated because I've been doing this a long time, 18 years of college basketball with DePaul and the University of Michigan, Go Blue, and also with the Raptors and the Bulls. And so this is, this, is, this is me. This is how I'm wired. And all of a sudden, it just stopped. It mm-hmm. stopped. I mean, now you know, we have a schedule, and we know the last regular season game is going to be like May 16th or 17th. So I'm, I'm mentally prepared with or without a play-in game that our season, regular season, is going to end in mid-May. I did not have that luxury last year. So when this thing really took to greater depths, not heights, but depths, depths of despair for so many with the loss of family members, with the pandemic taking hold of our country and creating thousands upon thousands upon thousands, not only of, of deaths, but also people contracting COVID. And then, you know, the after effect, I'm looking back and I'm saying, hey, I'm just a basketball announcer. And I give the Bulls a lot of credit with Jerry and Michael Reinsdorf are the chairman and Michael is our president because they said, hey, you know, do as much as you can to promote the club. Keep doing your thing. We'll keep you posted. And they have been great. Not good. Great. That's great perspective. Um, let's talk basketball. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do you guys think of Vooch? He, um, man, it was a tough day here. And, and obviously that first zoom session wow. when he got there, I think that, I, I think that probably told you all you needed to know about, about the man that he is. And, and it was tough for us to, to see him go. It was tough for us to see Evan go. Certainly Aaron, Aaron asked his way out. And so it's a, a little bit easier. Um, but those three guys had been such a part of this organization for so long, but, with Nicola specifically, you know, people here watched him turn into an all-star caliber player from, from sheer work ethic, from putting the work in. And he's such a good guy. Um, we really miss him, but, but I'm happy for you guys um, because I think it's going to be a great fit. What, what have been your early impressions from Nicola? Well, again, because of COVID, I have never met the man. Yeah. Um, you know, the Zoom call, that's great, but you know, I, I have no personal or professional, I don't even want to call it a relationship. A relationship is when there's kind of a, a bond forming. I don't even want to say there's an acquaintance because I'm not an acquaintance of him. I'm a professional radio play-by-play announcer uh, looking along with 30 others at a Zoom call. Now, 
the reputation he has is impeccable. Um, you know, the people in Orlando love him. And by the way, and, and again, this is just me talking. I'm unfiltered, so I hope you can deal with that, Jake. <laughs> but but the, here's the word on the street regarding Orlando. John, John Hammond is so well-respected with Jeff Weltman and Alex Martins. And, and I'm not giving you the company line because we're, we're talking Orlando Ball. I'm telling you what 29 other teams think of your ownership group and your management and your head coach, Steve Clifford. The pieces are there. People have to understand that when the run is over, the run is over and you move on. And it's hard because people, fans get to know and respect and love and care about people like Vooch. And I get that. But when they reached a decision, hey, we're, you know, we've gone as far as we can, and this is going to be very, very difficult. We have to do what's best uh, for the Orlando Magic. So understand, and I hope the fans get this, that whether it's your ownership, whether it's your management with Alex and John and Jeff and your coach, you know, Steve, this, this is just, uh, this is the business side of basketball. Yep. And the Bulls have acquired a player in his prime, but they gave up a really good young player in Wendell Carter Jr., who I have a relationship with and his family, and I think the world of him. And I think he has a, a great upside. And the two number one picks, listen, these these number one picks are hard to come by in pro ball. So when you get not one, but two, you cherish them. In return, the Bulls got what they need. They needed a big to run pick and roll with Zach. They needed a guy who could finish around the hoop. And they needed somebody who can be a facilitator and take a lot of pressure off Zach because they're still trying to figure out what's happening with a point guard situation here in Chicago, and those things will take care of itself in time. But for now, I think, and people don't like to hear it because the moment a trade's made, they say, ah, the Orlando won that trade. Ah, the Bulls won that trade. No, both teams won the trade. And that's the way it works, okay? And and this definitely feels like one of those instances. I mean, the early returns on Wendell have been been outstanding. Um, I... I don't, what went wrong? Was it was it just a little too early for him? Why would you say? Because it, it looks to me like, and I, I don't think it has anything really to do with coaching. I don't think Wendell, you know, maybe he got sort of a breath of fresh air. Maybe some of the, the weight of the expectations started um, to be a bit heavy on him in Chicago, but he has been so good so far. And maybe nothing went wrong. Maybe you trade a, a good player who's well, a little here, bit younger to get a good player back, well, and that's just the way it works. Jake, Jake, listen, that's – <laughs> you're not going to get a vooch by saying, Hey, listen, right. we love you. Get here. Go right. ahead. We're going to, we're going to trade you, you know, to, you know, the Washington generals, Yep. you know, uh, and by the way, for people who don't know, Washington generals was the <laughs> slapstick team. The second team that always played the Harlem globe charts, they needed to beat somebody. So the Washington generals, sure. But that's not the way it works. The way it works is if you really want a centerpiece of our team, we need something back. Yep. And again, Wendell Carter Jr., I mean, he was the seventh overall pick in the draft. He has a great upside. He's still a pup. He's a kid. And he's been banged up. And when healthy, I think he can do a lot of positive things. And I'm, I'm hoping he stays healthy because Orlando will get a really, really, really good player.
Yeah, he he might have. He's probably been banged up because he plays his butt off. I mean, last night he he took Nikola uh, Nikola Jokic out of the game about five minutes into the game. He was just rough and rugged and physical with him. And Jokic, and of course, he, he almost had a triple double, and, and Denver won by ten. But he was not himself all night long, and it was largely because Wendell was just banging with him. Uh, he sets good screens. He moves his feet in the perimeter. We're very excited about the future for Wendell Carter Jr. Tell me about the young man. How, how well did you get to know him? Because, again, you know, we, we get to see him uh, via Zoom, and so there's not that much of a personal relationship. Um, what, how did you get to know him? How well? And, and what did you think about him as a person? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how this happened, which is unusual. Normally, it's the other way around where you meet the player and then you really meet the family. Well, I met his, I got to know his family more than Wendell. And then all of a sudden, that bond, because in the family room, which is across from the press room, and again, I'm talking pre-COVID, right. um, I would see uh, Wendell and his mom. And so we would have a great conversation, not only just about Wendell, but about life. And they're really, really good people. I love them. And so I would often say, hey, Wendell, you know, if he'd be coming back on the floor for the third quarter, I'd wink at him. I'd say, hey, your mom and dad are great. And he'd smile and we'd, you know, talk. But I, he's such a, a warm person and he's a good guy, really good locker room presence. And I think you will see in time a leadership quality come out in him. Um, and that's why I'm very, very high on Wendell. And I think this was a really good trade for both teams. I'll tell you, the, you know, the people who have been around Vooch, the players, you know, because, again, he was acquired and he meets the ball club in Chicago for like 24 hours. Then they hit the road for a week. Sure. They, come, they come home for like 48 hours. They're hitting the road today for Indiana. So this has been really good from the standpoint that while Vooch and in the case of Zach Levine, they're represented by the same agency, Vooch has competed against a lot of these players, but he has never traveled with them. He hasn't played with them with the exception now since the trade. And I think, I'll tell you what I'm excited about for both teams, but I'm really excited about the Bulls from this standpoint. Regardless of what happens from here until mid-May, and I do believe this team needs to play meaningful games in May, okay, in this case in May, uh, because marketing has never played a playoff game. Levine has never been in a playoff game. Kobe White in his second year never played in a playoff game. So I think that next season, the training camp is going to help Billy Donovan immeasurably. Uh, And I'm very, very, I'm very, no no pun intended, I'm very bullish Mm. on the Bulls coaching staff with Billy Donovan. He is a superb coach. And the front office with Arturis and Mark coming over respectively from Denver and Philadelphia has given an energy that we haven't seen in a long time here. Zach's never played in a playoff game. That is, that's crazy to think about. Um, I, yeah, I guess it never, it never quite came together in Minnesota. He has been so good and so much more efficient this year than I thought ever possible for him. Um, is that just a matter of aging? Obviously, he's put the work in, and he's just turned into a complete all-around offensive player. Um, and he's always seemed like a, a good kid. It's just, you know, I don't know if he's been coached up properly, uh, maybe until this year. Or for you, is it, does it just seem like it just sort of all clicked into place this year? Because he has been, I mean, he's been remarkable. 
Well, he has been remarkable. I mean, his his leadership qualities have taken the next step. I think he's tired of losing. Yeah. I really do. You know, it gets to the point where, let, let's just say this, a player comes in the league, and the first thing a player wants to do, regardless of, quote, unquote, where they were picked, and, you know, I'm a lottery pick, or, you know, I'm a, I'm a first-round pick, or, hey, I got, I got a multi-year deal, couple years guaranteed because I was the 47th pick in the draft, whatever. But once training camp starts, listen, if you're a coach, uh, you, you got to win. That's your mandate. You got to put together a team that can win. And so at that point, you know, first round picks usually get the benefit of the doubt, but you got to win. So for Zach Levine, who was a first round pick by Minnesota, suffered an ACL injury, and then all of a sudden gets traded in the Butler deal. There were a lot of people saying, what defines Zach Levine? Is it because he can dunk the basketball? And I think Zach wanted to prove, I can score in this league. I can not only score in this league, I want to get to the foul line. I want to get to the foul line at least five plus a game, which he's doing and which he has done the last three years. And I think now the challenge is, okay, you know, the, the ownership of this team I, I've never liked, well, this is Zach's team or this is this guy's team. Unless you're a super-duper star and you can say this was Kobe's team, this is you know another player's team, to me, it is a team. It says Bulls. It says Magic. And I think Zach and Vooch are going to be the faces of this franchise. And I, I think it, 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 to me, it brings a feeling of, okay, now that we've got a legit five and a legit two, do, do your work. You know, go for it. Just turned 26 years old in March. I mean, the, the future is so bright for him. And now, you know, I mean, he's almost at 50, 40, 90 this year. He's just a little off as far as the free throws go. But now for Zach, yeah, I mean, he's going to – his game is not based on dunking on people anymore. Um, you know, he's turned into such a complete offensive player. He can put up this level of production, in my opinion – for, you know, close to another decade, for crying out loud. It's similar with Vooch, and we used to talk about this all the time. You watched Powell. Um, yes. I, I always compare Vooch to the Gasols because their games are not high impact. Like, I think Nikola Vucevic can continue to improve and produce offensively at this high in an all-star level deep into his 30s. Do you see that? Well, let's, let's, let's – you just saw – Nikola Jokic, okay? And Jokic has a, a mid-range game where he, he likes mid-post. He'll do the uh, little ball fake and curl in the lane. Well, yesterday against LaMarcus Aldridge, okay? And against Dick Claxton, but especially against Aldridge. So Vooch catches the ball on, if you're facing the rim, he catches the ball on the right block. Mm -hmm. he, he curls with his back to the basket, curls to his right, and flips it in with his left hand. Uh, then he goes with the right hand on a jump hook. Everybody knows it's coming. It's like Thaddeus Young. You, you say, wait a minute, how, how can they do that when everyone knows the scouting report? I'll tell you how they do it. Because they're crafty and because they know how to shield the ball yep. and they know, how to, they know what type of arc they need with the degree of release point to get the ball over the length of a player's extended arm. To me, that speaks volumes about a player's IQ. And 
That is Vooch. I've already seen now Vooch uh, in his games over the last two weeks to figure things out after calling a lot of games where he, you know, carved up the bulls inside. But I, this guy can play as long as he wants because he is a Gasol. And he can get to the rim. He can take threes. He can take the mid-range. And his help and recover is very good on defense. If you let him get to that uh, to that right-handed hook, it, if, when you let him get um, going over his left shoulder, then it's lights out. The trail threes are something he added this year that are absolutely lethal, especially with a team that can force turnovers um, and has active hands, uh, like especially with some of the young talent you guys have. And then those ripping goes like he's just gotten so much better with the counters. Now they're closing out. You know, you're running pick and pop stuff, and they're closing out on him. Um, hard, he's just going to put it on the floor with that left hand, and he'll dunk on people now. Uh, I mean, he 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 just turned into such a complete offensive player. Um, it was a lot of fun to watch his development, and uh, and he's going to be great, I think. Um, I wanted to ask you about Otto Porter Jr. He's been he very instantly was one of Steve Clifford's favorites. You know, it's been a, it's been a very tough year for Cliff. We've had injuries. Um, you know, injuries upon injuries. It was a six and two start for crying out loud, Chuck. And then Markel goes down and everything changes. Um, injuries across the board. And it's, so it's been tough. And then you make all these trades and basically it's, you know, let's see what happens the rest of the year. And, and we're building around youth moving forward. But I could tell the second Otto got here that he was going to be one of Cliff's favorite players because he calls him a solidifier and he's a little banged up right now. He's got a sore foot. What did you see from Otto in the time he was there? I know injuries affected his, his, his tenure um, in Chicago, but can you see Cliff? And, and, and we don't know what it'll look like. I mean, obviously he's a free agent um, this summer, but can you see Steve Clifford being sort of enamored with, with getting Otto Porter Jr. on the floor, especially with young guys around him and, and letting him kind of solidify things? No question. Um, but, but again, you need, in order to do that, you have to be on the floor. Yeah. And we just did not see enough of Otto Porter Jr. on the floor. He is a great guy. In fact, if you talk to our young players, uh, Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter Jr., Garrett Temple, and Levine are all the guys in that locker room who help the young players. Our young players love Otto. And it's hard not to love Otto because he's a genuinely good man. Having said all this from a basketball standpoint, when he's been healthy and he is a volume scorer, and I mean, I don't think he's the type of guy that you can play him for four minutes here, six minutes there. You got to play him extended minutes so he yeah. can get in a rhythm. And when he does that, he's, he can score. And what's going to keep him in the league is he can shoot. I just hope he can stay healthy because I want to see the Otto Porter Jr. early Washington days yeah. and earned him that offer sheet from the Nets. Because think about this, in Washington, they held him to the level where they felt that he was going to be you know, one of the three guys right. in that Washington framework of John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter Jr. We're not talking about the 19th pick in the draft. We're talking about the third overall pick in the draft. We're talking about a guy who put up big numbers with the Wizards, and then, you know, the trade happened with uh, Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis. And so Otto Porter comes in, and he plays well. He goes down. 
He plays well. He goes down. And I don't think this was a throw into the deal. I think Orlando wants to get a good look at him as they prepare for 21-22 season. He's still a young man. I don't have his age in front of me. I think he's, what, 27, 28 years young? Yeah. Yeah, 28, I believe. 28. So, again, I, I still think he has an upside. And I would, I would I'm, I'm hoping that he'll stay healthy. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's going to be a tricky off season, and for him, uh, I'm sorry, 27. Um, for him, it's he has to show, and he doesn't have much time to do it. Um, what you said that he can, he can stay on the floor, especially if he goes out and he plays the market. But I I'm hoping that he likes it here, and that you know you can sort of agree on a nice price tag. I don't think it'll be the same number that he got uh, necessarily before, but. Um, it, I, I feel like he would be a great fit as we rebuild around this youth, um, this sort of youth movement. Um, you need a couple out of Porter juniors, you know, darn well, Chuck, you can't do the Sam Hinkie Sixers. You need Gary Harris. You need Otto Porter jr. You need Michael Carter Williams. Uh, you need some, some veterans in there to kind of show the way to, to convey the message of a coach like Steve Clifford. Uh, otherwise it's, you know, you got a whole bunch of kids running around and it's like your parents, your parents left for the weekend. Um, how about Mike MCW? Let me ask you about him. I, I, he is, he's one of my favorite guys. Um, he has, I think he's such a good illustration of if you want to stick around the league, you better hit the floor for loose balls unless you're a top 10, you know, sort of lottery pick type guy. And, um, for a guy who was the rookie of the year and then was almost out of the league and now finally finds some stability here in Orlando. Um, boy, what a good, what a good lesson to young players and what a good guy to have around. Uh, if you've got some young players. Uh, absolutely. I mean, listen, this is a situation where players uh, get off to a good start. They get a bump in the road, maybe a pothole. They come back. It, it, Jake, it's all about perseverance. Yeah. How badly do you want it? I mean, there have been a lot of players that have come and gone in the NBA that look back and say, you know, I wish my conditioning had been better. Mm. I wish I would have been, spent more time in the gym. I wish, I wish, I wish. And instead of pointing the finger, look at the mirror. If, if, you're, if you're upset with a coach, walk in man-to-man, sit down with the coach and say, what do I need to get better? How can I get those minutes? And if the coach says, here's what I need from you, A, B, and C. I don't need E, F, and G. I need A, B, and C. And the player, if the player really wants to get it done, they will spend time in the lab. And to me, that's what it's about. I mean, and, and I'm not expecting, listen, I'm not expecting every average player to turn in to an all-star because your skill level will take you so far. It's the intangibles that will help that skill set take you to a point where a coach can trust you to have extended minutes on the floor. And once you're able to do that, and I'm not talking about reinventing the wheel. I'm just talking about where now you're on the scouting report, that you're no longer on page six. You're on page one or two. You know what? I don't know if you understand what, what I'm saying. Sure. But I, I, I think it's very important to players to never, ever, ever take a roster spot for granted. To me, and this is my approach to a broadcast. I've never taken one game for granted. I go into every game thinking this could be my last, that my boss could call me in and say, hey, uh, we appreciate it. Good luck to you. 
because I don't want at the end of my career, just like a player at the end of his career or her career in the WNBA to look in the mirror and say, I cheated myself. Mm. I cheated my organization. I want to look in the mirror and say, hey, I busted my chops 24-7, 365. I will never look back in the rearview mirror and say, would have, should have, could have. That's great perspective, Chuck. And it actually leads me to, to my final question. I just wanted to ask you before you go, um, advice for young broadcasters. You've had such a, a prolific career. You've done Chicago Bears. You've done Toronto Raptors. You've done University of Michigan, Detroit, uh, WJR, for crying out loud, um, which is such an institution there. I loved my time in Detroit. I spent four years there. What a great sports market, by the way. Um, if, when you look back on it, what is something for young broadcasters or young journalists that you would say is a key piece of advice? Um, and I'm not going to let you cheat. You can't just say treat every game like it's your last because you already gave me that piece of advice. Okay. Here's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say this. My, the best piece of advice, um, and it was from a jazz singer. Hmm. And I'm watching at a club in Columbus, Ohio. Go back, and guys. I, yep. And during one, uh, after the first set, I was with friends, and the singer knew a friend of mine who was at the table. And he comes over, his name was is Dick Mackey. And he comes over and we're talking. And he goes, I'm going to give you guys a piece of advice. He goes, you better take care of your homework, because if you don't, somebody will. Ooh. And all of us are looking around, and for a pregnant pause in that moment. Here we are in a club and there was silence at the table, like silence. And that conversation took place 42 years ago. And I will never forget exactly what club, where I was sitting, what time he came over. And that has stuck with me, Jake, forever. You better take care of your homework because if you don't, somebody will. So you got to keep fighting. You got to keep grinding. You got to wake up in the morning with unbridled passion. And you got to be dedicated and loyal and leave it on the table. Period. It's great stuff. It's great stuff. Um, I didn't even realize you were, you're a Bobcat. You're an OU guy. Ohio wow. U. Hey, we won an NCAA tournament game. We beat UVA. I know, I know, and and what a story um, that team this year in Athens, Ohio, yeah. one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the kid's name? Why can't I think of the the Central Florida kid's name? You're yeah. talking about Jason Preston. Jason Preston, yeah, exactly. Um, boy, what a cool story that was. You want to talk about putting in doing your homework? Yep. Um, that was incredible. He uh, he he was what six foot or or barely that. Yep. Um, and, and AAU and, and he makes his own YouTube highlights. Um, very, very cool story for him. Okay. <laughs> it's probably a story for another time. Chuck, I appreciate the time so much. Um, this has been great, great advice. And I wish you guys nothing but the best, um, the rest of the way and, uh, say hi to Vooch for, uh, uh, for everybody from the magic organization for me. I, I will do that. Be well. Thank you so much. Okay. You got it. There he is. Chuck Swirsky, the great Chuck Swirsky. He's on Twitter at CTS Bulls. Make sure you give him a follow and make sure uh, you check out all of his stuff. Jake Chapman here with you. Follow me on Twitter as well. It's at Jake Chapman OM. That's going to do it for Magic Weekly this week. We'll be back next week with another edition. Until then, stay safe, everybody.